today's podcast Igor Volovich talk about the strategic side of cybersecurity so stay tuned Welcome everyone to another episode of Future of Data podcast. Today we have with us an amazing cybersecurity guest, uh, Igor Volovich. Uh, a quick bio on Igor: uh, strategist, advisor, advocate, mentor, author, speaker, and cyber leader. Passionate about the craft of cybersecurity and its role in protecting the computing public, uh, the integrity of global commerce and international trade, and defense of critical national infrastructure. internationally experienced cybersecurity executive and senior advisor with 20 years of service to the world's largest uh, private and public sector entities fortune 100s us legislative and executive branches and regulatory agencies so igor thank you so much uh, for um, uh, agreeing to be on the show and sharing your thoughts with our community absolutely thanks for having me on beautiful so now um, By the way, uh, your bio is. I think I was looking for a word that's missing. It's. I think it's. It's just. It's just full. It's full of things. It's. It's pretty action-packed. So uh, amazing to have you on on the podcast. So let's let's talk about your journey to, uh, to a cyber security strategist. Sure. Well, it began many many years ago. Not to date myself, but. Uh, uh, I first uh, got on a computer terminal when I was uh, I think 12 years old, and I was hooked immediately. Uh, the ability to make computers do things was fascinating right off the bat, and uh, I was fortunate enough that my school actually got the first shipment of computers in our city, so we had the first computer lab. So I was very lucky, and uh, at 13 I had my first internship. I spent the summer playing with DBase three applications, and um, I never looked back. So I've tried to follow different career paths, and information technology just kept pulling me back. So I stuck with it. I've been in it for. Close to 25 years, I think, if you count all of my time. Uh, but formally in a career path, um, actually in a job field, uh, for about 21 years. Uh, it began with IT, like most of us d- uh, did back in those days. Security didn't really exist as a subset, mm-hmm. as a practice, and uh, began in IT, and then slowly migrated over to uh, security. In about five years, I was doing security work full time, and uh, joined Microsoft. I worked for a number of startups in Seattle before the startup bust, and then went to work for Microsoft. Spent five years there. Helped build one of the first practices for cybersecurity, and uh, we created what was known as uh, corporate security and network security within the trustworthy computing organization. And then went on from there. Uh, hung out my own shingle about uh, 2006, and uh, operated my own consulting firm for about seven years. Served many clients, Fortune 100s. Uh, worked with large enterprises primarily, and then uh, became a CISO of a company called Invensys, which was a British leader in uh, industrial automation. And uh, process control, and then uh, we were acquired by Schneider Electric, a French firm, uh, at the time a 25 billion dollar enterprise with about 160,000 personnel, and I actually oversaw the 5.2 billion dollar merger, helped it happen, uh, uh, worked our way through regulatory filings, and uh, worked on due diligence across multiple businesses that we had, and uh, we became a 30 billion dollar enterprise, and I became the CEO of Schneider Electric Americas in the course of the merger. Uh, so two years later, I uh, Took my show on the road again uh, once the merger was complete, and uh, hung out my own shingle. Uh, went back to private practice, uh, focusing again on startups and bringing innovation into the marketplace. Uh, a lot of the companies that we identified, even when I was at Schneider and Invensys, uh, very promising uh, technology. A lot of great innovation happening in smaller places. You know, all the garages and basements that we typically look at uh, for the new ideas to emerge from. And I was, um, I, what I was seeing was the failure of large enterprises to take full advantage of these kinds of things. Um, you know, there is some organic innovation that does happen in large enterprise, but by and large, it happens outside. You know, once once businesses become monolithic, uh, you know, acquisitions is typically how technology flows into those spaces. And of course, they have the scale, they have the funds, they have the resources, they have the customers uh, to validate some of these ideas. But the uh, the ability to breach into those uh, environments, kind of bridge that gap. Uh, can be difficult, so I decided to focus on the innovation space exclusively, and have spent the last two years working uh, here in D.C. We have a very healthy startup ecosystem. A lot of people don't know that. We're definitely <laughs> not a Silicon Valley, but we are kind of a mini Silicon Valley. 
Um, so we do have a lot of companies that come from uh, Europe um, and other places in the world that like to bring their solutions here to the U.S. We are the largest market, of course, for security solutions and products, and naturally they want to have access to it. So uh, I have to wear a couple of hats. You know, one of them is uh, through my strategy advisory firm called Cyber Strategy Partners that I founded a couple of years ago after leaving Schneider. And I work with a number of partners. You know, the word partners in it is really meaningful. Uh, we actually work with a lot of firms here in the area that focus on helping younger companies, earlier stage companies, understand the leadership problems, the, the issues of branding, positioning, figuring out what they need to bring to the marketplace besides just an idea. You know, a lot of the smaller firms, younger firms tend to view things as, if I build a better mousetrap, the world will be the path to my door. Uh, we all know that's not true. And uh, they also have a natural fear of accessing large enterprise environments as customers. So we try to assist across an entire spectrum of issues and help innovations reach market. Interesting. So that's that's one of the hats that we wear. And of course, we work with large enterprises to help them understand how to take advantage of these innovations and uh, how to understand risk within their environment. And there we focus largely on the business. Uh, we take a very top-down view of the environment. We don't focus on technology as much. It's more about strategies and creating good outcomes for the business. And really, the, it's about you know not, not so much playing with the toys and making the bits flow faster, which is absolutely important. Uh, you know, IT is definitely can be a strategic advantage for the business, and uh, you know those who do better at IT can do better in the business. But uh, what we're trying to do is enable more of a holistic risk understanding, risk mm -hmm. visibility, and risk mitigation. Uh, so it's not necessarily about controls; it's about the entire picture, and that's what we try to uh, to achieve with our clients and help them also understand the critical role that innovation can play in that space. Uh, you know, there's a there's no shortage of solutions quote-unquote, and mm -hmm. I put big air quotes around solutions because a lot of them, you know, are just solutions in name only. They don't necessarily solve anything. So our job at CyberStrategy Partners is to create the connections, you know, connect the dots between large enterprises, the problems that they have, uh, the lack of innovation coming from the largest security vendors, the difficulty in picking good products out there because the market is oversaturated. We have 1,600 cybersecurity companies right now on the market actively pursuing Mm -hmm. clients and and delivering solutions so interesting finding the good ones figuring out even what the requirements should be that's a huge challenge the enterprise faces uh, today so that's exactly what cyber strategy partners comes in we'll resume after a short break this part of the podcast is brought to you by first friday fair fastest ai powered way to find your next opportunity check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job let's get back to the podcast Interesting. So, by the way, uh, I, I do appreciate uh, your focus on startups. I think when I, I was talking to one of the CISO a couple of months back, and, and he actually raised a very interesting point. So, he said, you know, Vishal, uh, if the threats come from the hidden corners of the world, probably the solution would come from there too, right? So, their perspective was, hey, uh, we, sh we as, a, as a larger company should have a, a good vantage point towards the startups that are emerging in the cybersecurity space, because some of them are very clean and clever and sort of they have no respect for the 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 current status quo so that that would help sort of uh, fix tomorrow's need maybe today so i, I do appreciate you there that's you know and i, I can't agree more and uh, it's very refreshing to understand that some of the CISOs and, and the ctos and cios are starting to get the message hmm. right you know some of the places that tend to be hotbeds of uh, nefarious activity for the same reasons, tend to have a pool of talent that actually wants to do right, you know, wants to do good things, and they might be a lot more closely related, and they might they might actually see these things emerge first firsthand, and that gives them a chance to develop solutions that can combat those problems. So the the issue is, of course, taking them to market, right? That's the problem where they all right. they, they all tend to face, and of course, uh, for large enterprises to take advantage of these innovations, that can be a challenge too. They don't know how to identify mm -hmm. them. Uh, they typically need to have a mature technology, and uh, they may not even have the facility to plug those things in. Right. You know, with the with the huge scale of outsourcing uh, that's happened in large enterprises, you know, they don't necessarily own own their IT anymore, and they mm. own their security to an even lesser degree. So that tends to be kind of a, a one of the contributing factors to their inability to take advantage of these things. So right. typically, you're dealing with some U.S. company that can package those solutions together, provide it as a portfolio of of uh, services and you know there we're talking about mssps mdrs mm -hmm. those kinds of companies that can uh, create the uh, the relationship for you 
and then provide those solutions as a one-stop shop. So that's that that's kind of what we're seeing. That's one of the emerging trends over the last couple of years. And those firms tend to be a lot more agile. You know, the MSSPs, the MGRs of the world, you know, I'm not talking about the monolithic big companies that, mm-hmm. you know, are unicorns, they're billion-dollar companies. We're talking about smaller kind of mid-scale, uh, mid-market solution providers that have the agility and the adaptability to go out and look for these new products, new services, new solutions, new ideas, and then bring them together into kind of a nice one wrap package and, and offer it to larger enterprises. So they have a critical no, I, role to play I, I think I'm, 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 I'm so glad that um, you also uh, agree to that that notion of that uh, we'll, we'll find innovation from small corners. And, and I think you raised a good point that businesses should have a framework to identify uh, those those small startups and they don't have a right template and they don't have a right structure. So what are let's let's talk about from their perspective, right? So what what do you think are some of some of the best practices? If I'm a big enough company, and and obviously I have a very secure and sort of very robust, um, I think, uh, cybersecurity infrastructure. What are some of the some of the um, best practices you could suggest to those leaders that how could they identify these small startups when like, getting anything done in in a big company is a nightmare. Now we're talking about being so agile to sort of recruit these small conceptual ideas, idea-based companies. What are some of some of your thoughts there? Mm-hmm. So the traditional way that that's happened in larger companies is having a small venture arm hmm. that actually puts out some cash in the marketplace to help gather these companies and bring them in through acquisitions at an earlier stage. And so we've seen that be moderately successful. Uh, typically, these are companies that are in that field. So we're talking about Microsoft that has a venture arm, you know, Microsoft mm-hmm. Ventures and Symantec, Intel. Absolutely. You know, Intel Capital actually has a huge number of, of investments and they have a lot of they put a lot of money to work, uh, as we say, in the marketplace. So that's kind of the traditional way to do it. So kind of taking the VC model, the venture capital mm-hmm. model and incorporating that within an, a, a larger enterprise context. And that's successful, uh, although it tends to be more narrow band, right? They mm. tend to focus on the solutions that kind of fit within their vertical, mm. within the verticals that they serve. Um, when we're talking about true early stage innovation, where you really don't know, you know, if these little tur- turtles are ever going to make it to water, right? And 90% of them don't. Mm. So it's very difficult to make those decisions. And that's where a lot of the venture capitalists uh, make their money. Mm. That's why they get paid what they get paid, because they make those decisions at, you know, if they do them better, most of the time, then it's a successful VC firm. But the, the percentages are really not in the favor of that model because ultimately, you know, you got you to kind of scattergun a lot of your money out there to make sure something actually comes back. So most firms, uh, you know, that have smaller venture arms don't necessarily have the, either the bandwidth or the mm. longevity to mm. see those investments through. You know, we're talking about five to seven year models. Uh, you know, a typical venture fund uh, will... Uh, will capitalize and that operate for about five to seven years at the end of the seven years they have to give the money back to their limited partners right. so they have mm-hmm. fairly well-defined timelines but they tend to be longer term mm-hmm. uh you know for a a venture arm of an operating entity that tends to be you know less of a probable uh model right so the idea there is to create incubators mm-hmm. accelerators where these ideas can flourish have some validation in the marketplace with a risk the perceived risk is a lot more reduced. And when the ideas look like they're actually going to work, that's when a lot of these companies start becoming serious about acquiring those technologies and bringing them in. So, uh, and that's kind of how we view cyber strategy partners, you know, Mach 37, where I mentor uh, for the last two years now, Uh, I'm on my fifth cohort. That's another great model. So Mach 37 was the first cyber exclusive accelerator that was started here in Virginia to take advantage of a lot of that pool of talent that we have here coming from places like Fort Meade, you know, and, and the agency and some of the other places that, you know, a lot of smart people work and, uh, and exit and then they have ideas to bring to market and don't necessarily know how to transition from that government space to a commercial space. So uh, Mach 37 took advantage of that and brought a lot of talent from outside the country and kind of around the beltway uh, to create this new model. Uh, where firms incubate for 90 days, which that's that in and of itself isn't new, but focusing on cyber exclusively created some interesting opportunities for synergy across the cohort. So we might have different companies doing different things within that same 90-day space where they can identify points of, of adhesion and synergy, and, and that can be very creative, very useful. And so we've had a lot of success around that. Um, so that can be an interesting model where you kind of outsource that innovation incubation function to folks who specialize in that. They know how to identify early stage companies. They understand the risk factors. They bring in the right kinds of mentors from the industry to help 
shape solutions, position them, brand them. Um, you know, the idea might be the idea, right. but how do you actually market it? How do you commercialize it and monetize it? That's a whole different conversation. You know, uh, a partner of mine who is very well known in the industry, Bob Stratton, who was one of the founders of Mach 37, is very fond of saying, you know, technology is maybe 10%. Hmm. The rest of it is what do you actually make of it, right? right? So, and that's kind of what you focus on. So you you look for these specialist firms like Mach 37 and others mm-hmm. like it uh, that have now kind of propped up around the country um, and you partner with them. So to answer your question, how do you take advantage of mm-hmm. this innovation? You partner with outfits like this and uh, you engage with them as either a sponsor or you know in some sort of partnership where you get access to their pipeline. You get to see the, the companies coming in and if it fits your model and the solutions that they bring to the table fit with what you're trying to do, uh, give them a chance, right? right? So take a chance on early stage companies, uh, help them uh, achieve their uh, market velocity, get them to market, and maybe you can become their first customer. You know, right. that that's an advice I would give to, uh, to large enterprises, you know, CISOs to have a lot more courage around these emerging stage technologies and give them a chance. Right. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. No, I think you raised a very interesting point, and uh, the, the the moment you point uh, pointed about about VC as a template to to recruit uh, these. So I think one of the one of the uh, recent conversation I had with one of the one of the telco, one of the largest telco here in US. And, and his perspective was, you know, that's not our core competency, right? So if, if you talk about innovation or incubation or, or at least their lab uh, so-called framework, they pretty much focus on their core competency stuff, right? So now uh, cybersecurity is not an issue unless you are hacked or unless one of your neighbor is hacked or like at least someone in your horizon is hacked, then it's okay. Oh, yes, I missed out on that particular concept. Let me explore. And IT is very rigid. They can't move. So... If I am stuck in that, right, or if I am a CISO, or maybe not even a CISO, I'm just an IT guy who's paranoid about security, and who's sort of so. What are some of some of your thoughts, uh, or some of your your suggestions for for someone like me? I think you raise an interesting point of uh, aligning with an incubator, right? Because you, again, I think your uh, Mark Thirty Seven. I think that's a that's an interesting concept, right? So you probably I, I rely on your expertise of uh, you. I know what you do. Uh, and 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 then from there on, I can say, okay, I trust your instinct, and I have sort of some uh, industry ex- uh, sort of experts, part of this consortium. Maybe I should align them with them. So how would how would I sell this uh, this concept if I'm one of the uh, sort of pusher in my company towards this idea of yeah? What are what are some of some of your thoughts there? Well, I think uh, that's a great question. I wish I had an easy answer. So we've had good success uh, here at Mach 37 uh, gaining uh, partnerships with folks like MITRE mm. and SAP NS2, which is the government services arm mm. of, of SAP, mm. and uh, Amazon Web Services, um, because they understand mm. that the innovation is not going to come from within. They have a large budget for R&D, but you know, a lot of that can be organic, but you look outside, right? You, you try to, to hear as many voices as you can and then pick them out of the crowd. And that's what you know, accelerators and incubators do. So they recognize that. And these are mature organizations that mm-hmm. understand innovation, right? They, they're mature enough to know that not, they're, they're not capable of doing everything for themselves, right? So mm-hmm. innovation is going to come from without, not just within. Um, so driving that message can be difficult. Um, you know, if you, uh, if you have easy measurable success factors and criteria that you can point to within the organization, it makes the conversation easier, Mm. right? When you can say, look, we're suffering because we're not bringing in enough innovation. Now that would be great if we could actually quantify that, Mm. Uh, but it's sort of, you know, a very nebulous, very, very difficult thing to quantify. So um, I think it speaks to the larger problem that we have, which is the problem of management measurement and quantification. Mm. We don't necessarily know how to quantify cyber success. Right. You know, it's not how many times we have not been breached. Right. Because sometimes it becomes kind of this the uh, the negative conversation. Right. You know, how many times has something not happened and is that a measure of success? And there, of course, we start having a conversation about whose fault it is that something did happen. Right. Is it our fault that we didn't defend ourselves enough or is it the bad guy's fault that, you know, they attacked uh, attacked us too much? You know, um, in recent years, I remember a 
a CEO of a cybersecurity company, a large one, uh, mentioning that their quarterly results suffered because um, uh, nation state hackers from Far East were doing less packing and mm -hmm. therefore people were buying fewer solutions and therefore their bottom line suffered. You know, that's that's an interesting argument to make. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, but I think it speaks to a larger problem. You know, how do we actually quantify risk? How do we quantify uh, whether security controls are actually working? And many a CISO have struggled with this particular question. You know, how do you talk to the board? How do you tell them if you're doing the right job or not? And, um, you know, security budgets have suffered because of it. We've kind mm -hmm. of stagnated. Uh, with our security controls, uh, we're not seeing uh, a great deal of um, good informed conversations happening within enterprises. You know, it's sort of a function that needs to be there. People understand it now. Uh, but we've been very poor at quantifying the actual damage either. You know, we have all the risk metrics and, you know, we even invented things like re return on security investment, which, you know, sort of people kind of try to use for a while. Mm. Uh, but But the larger problem is, we don't talk to the business about the actual business risk. We talk about cyber as its own thing. You know, it's its own island onto, uh, onto itself. And we start to get into the weeds pretty quickly when we talk about cyber because, you know, we come from technology. We, a lot of us are technologists and engineers, and, and we grew up in that business, uh, you know, operating the actual gear. And maybe that's what drew us to it in the first place. And that's fine. The problem is once you get to that leadership echelon, you, you kind of have to leave a lot of that stuff behind. Uh, and not just actually touching the technology day to day, but actually thinking about it in those terms, right? It's not about capacity. It's not about just bits on the wire. It's not about, you know, how much, how many petabytes of data we have in the cloud that we have to protect. It's, it becomes a lot more about, you know, having a strategic conversation. What does our business do? Where do the risks mm -hmm. come from? Uh, what risks do we inherit by virtue of doing what we do for a living, right? You know, the mission statement of the company should closely match the mission statement of the cybersecurity team. Right. They should actually go hand in hand. And quite frequently, they're just not they're, they're not even close. Right. You know, we're going to protect the enterprise. That's a broad statement. Mm. How are we going to do it specifically? Right. And, and that specificity is important without actually getting into the weeds of the actual technology. Right. And that's kind of where a lot of these things tend to to fall apart. So uh, in our practice, we focus on having those conversations, facilitating those conversations, you know, helping large scale enterprises understand how risk works and how cyber is a component of that risk. So my preferred audience for these conversations within the enterprise, whether I'm there as, as a captive uh, employee or, or as a uh, retained uh, advisor, I talk to the same folks, general counsel, the risk management team, mm -hmm. and, and folks in the business, right? And IT typically are the last folks I talk to. Mm, and, yeah. and there's a reason for that. You know, it's not to denigrate our brothers in IT, right? You know, we all grew up together, we all came mm -hmm. up together, and Frequently, security is, a, is considered to be an IT function, which is, in, in my view, is kind of a legacy perspective, right? You know, when we talk, I mean, some teams still call themselves IT security. Mm. In 2017, you know, when everybody calling themselves cyber, mm. you know, that, that's, that's uh, difficult to see, right? It's, mm. you know, it kind of throws you for a loop for a minute. You know, you kind of do a double take and go, IT security, really? Wow, you guys are really living back in, you know, 1998. Mm. But, uh, but that's, that's the perspective in some of the places. And, uh, you know, we're not securing IT. We're not even securing the data. We're not even securing the information. We're securing the business, right? And so when we see some of the companies uh, a few years ago take initiative, uh, you know, GE is a good example. Uh, they uh, instantiated something that they called BISO, the Business Information Security Officer. Mm. Yeah. And that was this, basically a CISO assigned to a specific business unit mm. in residence, 100%, committed, and actually probably on their payroll, uh, where they could interface with the business on a daily basis. Right. They could have those conversations. They could understand how the business unit worked, where they got their money, what their bottom line was affected by, what their top line was affected by, where the revenue came from, what the expenses were, who they partnered with, who were the vendors, who were the suppliers, who were the customers. Interesting. And understanding how risk migrates through that entire environment is very important. You have to understand the life cycle of your company. So uh, if you don't do that, I mean, that's kind of the foundational thing. And a lot of folks don't do a great job of it because they don't necessarily think that way. You know, it's really about, you know, how many vulnerabilities did we discover in our environment? Mm. What did the last port scan reveal on, on our firewall? You know, what's the op time that we've been able to deliver to the business? You know, and these are great metrics, but these are IT metrics, right. right? We need to go to the business metrics, right? And we need to tie things together very tightly uh, where we can actually follow the logic of what are we doing and how is it helping the business? And if we can't have that conversation, 
then unfortunately, I have to admit, we don't deserve the money that we're paid, right? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. No, I we, think we, we're not. So, so you are hitting a very interesting point. I think, uh, and this is I recall one of the conversation I had with one of the, one of the executives, and and he was talking. He was he was actually talking to me about the, about security. He said these guys are nagging folks. These are the lawyers who want me to just lock myself up in a in, in a room and just stay there till till I, the doomsday come. Right. So their job is not to really and and as a business, I want to be innovative. I want to be creative. But on the other side, that like these guys want don't want with don't want me, me to be creative and sort of innovative and 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 i think he, and he said i would much much rather have it a, a financial engineering problem than, than than a technology problem and i think and you're raising some of the interesting points of if we can quantify the risk it could be a b so not 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 uh, not a c so how far uh, how far are we from your your vantage point to uh, like create robust risk uh, matrix that that we as a business can say okay let me just set aside some insurance and just chill about it and then we'll, we'll take a hit or whatever happens happens so so what i thoughts? think we're there now right you know some of the mature companies out there are having those conversations you know i've had those conversations with a number of of clients and places where i worked where we would actually talk to the risk department you know we have presentations at the risk committee on a quarterly basis so you know become part of that life cycle and and you're in those rooms having those conversations um and and that that helps you quantify what you do and it may not be you know very uh detailed and it may not talk specifically about cyber risk but that that's the thing maybe we shouldn't be talking about cyber risk we mm -hmm. should be talking about risk mm -hmm. and the component that cyber makes of it right so um i think that's the conversation so folks are doing it it's just not widespread it's not a widespread practice most people in in security are relegated to the it function even today and uh, that's unfortunate because it's not very strategic right it doesn't allow us like you said you know it keeps us in those rooms locked away you can't innovate and then you know to go back to your original question how do we get that innovation mm -hmm. to happen how do you how do you get people to take advantage of all that innovation typically it comes in a form of a vendor presentation that somebody goes and sees you know an executive a cio or cto will be flying on a plane the classic you know, paradigm they pick up a trade magazine they read it they get off the plane they call their guys and they say hey how come we don't have technology X in the enterprise? That's not strategic. It's it's not even tactical. It's completely haphazard and sporadic. And when we start talking about what kind of value does that deliver to the enterprise, none, right? It may haphazardly deliver something, but it'll be by happenstance, not through strategy. And the only way to make strategic investments and to have the, is to have a strategic view of the business. You know, to understand where we have gaps. And when I say gaps, I don't mean a missing firewall or an uninstalled piece of, uh, you know, uh, endpoint uh, software on, on a few boxes. We're talking about where is our business today from a security posture and a risk posture perspective. And those two should kind of be one and the same. You know, we have our own set of metrics that we live by and how we figure out if we're doing a good job or not. You know, these are the things that we put on our employees' reviews uh, at the end of the year. And unfortunately, they have very little to do with the business. You know, we have our top-down metrics and we have our bottom-up metrics. And, and frequently, they don't meet in the middle. So we need to fix that. And that's kind of more of a cultural problem, more mm -hmm. of an organizational right. problem. It's not necessarily a, a technology or a, or a cyber problem, right? I think it's, it's a problem that we just have had historically by not talking about the business, by focusing on kind of focusing on ourselves, you know, playing with the toys, going in our dark rooms and, and sitting in front of five screens and watching, you know, the matrix code run down the screen. And it's all fun and fascinating and great. Uh, but uh, we kind of need to uh, to graduate beyond that. And a lot of folks are talking about it. You know, a lot of folks in the CISO suites uh, are saying, yes, that's what we need to move to. They understand the problem. The enterprise is not as receptive of the mm -hmm. idea. You know, they sort of think of cyber guys as just another kind of technology guy. And, you know, we need to we need to go beyond that. We need to be business people first. Right. right. And, uh, you know, I was asked this question, I think, four years ago at, at a conference. Do you think every CISO needs to go out and get their MBA? And I said, well, you know, it's not a bad idea. If yeah. that's a proxy, yeah. right, for we're becoming business people and we're putting business first, if if having an MBA gets us in that conversation, great, mm -hmm. let's go out and all get them, right? If that will get us the credibility that we need. So, you know, I'm not advocating for that. 
You know, I'm certainly not saying let's all go out and get our MBAs, mm -hmm. but uh, I think we should think about the business. We should talk to the business. Uh, we need to be part of the business, right? And and when we ask those conversations, when we ask the questions, the right questions, um, you know, instead of the fear mongering, you know, I think we lost a lot of credibility on the fear mongering right. that's gone on, you know, big bad hackers, you know, the Russian hackers, the Chinese hackers, you know, right. the, the whatever, right? Um, and, and the nation state actors and cyber espionage, all of those are true. All of those have happened. They will continue to happen, right? It's, it's the same conversation as, you know, can we get rid of crime? I mean, cyber crime, all crime, right? No, we have law enforcement because this is a cyclical, cyclical problem that exists and will continue to exist. It's about human behavior, not technology. Right. So I think, sorry to interrupt, I think, uh, but, but you're making a very interesting point. So I, it reminds me of a conversation uh, I had a couple of months back. And I think this is this is the this best way to summarize what you're saying uh, uh, currently. So he said that, hey, you know, Michal, currently the security set, setup is like that. If I go to pick a security vendor, think of me in a toy shop where every toy is like scary. It's like it's it's a Halloween scare, like and these are security infrastructure. I would rather ha I I would I would be much happier in a Disney sort of aisle where mm -hmm. there are plushable, huggable security that that I can I can relate with. I can say okay, I can I can see this in my room, whatever, and not those creepy things. So and I think you're reading uh, you are creating an inter interesting point here that uh, those those scary sort of metric would do actually they're counterproductive. They're saying okay. If not me, how would you scare everyone coming to your place? Instead of hey, I want I want to create a very inclusive and sort of very secure environment for all of us, and it's, it's I think it's it's a very in, very interesting mindset problem that that, that uh, sorry I just jumped in. It's, no, it's, it's a, interesting you, you may, yeah, absolutely you make a great point, Michelle. And I and I think uh, we've spent so much time trying to get people to believe this was a real problem. Hmm. You know, I think now everybody gets it. I mean, uh, from the White House on down, right? We've had presidential direction, directives. We've had legislation passed. You know, we even have a piece of legislation in front of the House of Representatives right now, uh, the ACDC yeah. Act, the, yeah. uh, the, uh, the Hackback Act, as it's known yeah. colloquially, basically allowing private entities to take action against perceived attackers yeah. in cyberspace, which I, I have a whole article coming out on that very soon yeah. uh, that I'd love to share with you and the audience uh, down the line. But... Yes. The, the idea being that, you know, this is kind of a terrible idea uh, because, yeah, know, yeah. you know, to create exceptions under the Computer Trespass Act for this activity, uh, premises on, on this idea that we can have actual attribution and cyberspace mm. is all about non-attributive mm. action. You know, we're anonymous and, uh, you know, it's very difficult to understand what attack is truly coming from. So that's been kind of a bane of our existence for a long time. We know it. The folks have operated, you know, forensic environments and, and have done investigations. Uh, they have spent years sometimes. We get it, you know. Uh, so letting uh, every private entity take action under some, even a narrow exception, I think it's a bad idea. But, you know, so, but the awareness is there, right? Even the fact mm. that we're having this conversation in Congress, right? Mm. And, yeah. and I've been on the Hill many times and we've briefed a lot of staffs around, the, uh, around Congress and Senate about things like the OPM breach and the Equifax mm. breach and, and many of the nation state threats and the corporate espionage and the threat to our intellectual IP, intellectual property assets here in the U.S. and U.S. companies and global companies that operate in the U.S. but are based elsewhere and some of the interesting cross-border legal and jurisdictional problems that creates for us as private industry entities protecting that IP. Right. So there's a lot of that conversation happening and that's great. The awareness is there. So mm. I think it's time to stop fear-mongering and time to start actually being creative and very concise with our message, you know, kind of shift away from, you know, the, the Russians are coming or the Chinese are coming yeah. or somebody bad is coming. Right. We, we have a tendency to personify the threat because we need a clear enemy. Mm. And I think we're way past that. You know, the, we've seen the enemy and it is us. We are mm. the enemy in the end <laughs> because we're under investing in security, you know, the total spend for security is right now hovering around, I believe, 70 to 75 billion dollars a year. That's compared to the threat and the loss that we faced. Mm. I mean, just the quantified loss exceeds this by an order of magnitude at a minimum. Right. We're talking about someone near a trillion dollars right now. They're saying being lost in, uh, every year due to cybersecurity threats actually materializing. And how many of these do we not know about? Right. So we kind of have to extrapolate other stuff. But the investment continues to be very minor. You know, when we compare the amount of R&D that's being spent on cyber to any other industry, including, well, let's say pharmaceuticals. I mean, that's all private 
primarily private uh, industry R&D, private dollars, and yet they exceed by, by leaps and bounds anything we do in cyber. And, and I don't even know what the number is right now, but let's, let's just say it's a fraction of the total spend for cyber. And, um, you know, there's another factor here, venture capital. You know, that's added an interesting wrinkle uh, where, you know, of course, it's an attractant for innovation. You know, there is a reason folks innovate and, and they want to monetize their innovation. That's great. Uh, but there is an interesting fa factor here. There's a recent paper that was published by a Stanford researcher, actually an economics professor, who looked at venture capital as a factor in innovation. Mm -hmm. And uh, where companies mm -hmm. position their R&D dollars and how that affects the ability to bring these solutions to market. My personal view on this uh, is that we, we have sort of a, there, there's a crossover rate that, that kind of happens. You know, you get to a certain tipping point where innovation happens and then it stops, it kind of plateaus out. Mm -hmm. And basically uh, when we take it down to a level of a single company, you know, as soon as they start receiving some venture dollars, it sort of validates the model that they're in. And in my view, after a certain period of time, it actually discourages innovation because then it's all about monetizing what they have. It's bringing that idea to market, you know, and as soon as that revenue starts flowing, the conversation becomes about growth. So at that point, innovation kind of begins to taper off and they begin to capitalize a lot more on what they've already created. And now, and of course, in my view, this is how we get to 1600 cybersecurity companies mm -hmm. of whom a huge portion are startups uh, doing a lot of work, but not really moving the needle. Right. A lot of stuff is being sold. A lot of stuff is being integrated or sometimes not integrated, becomes shelfware, which is another problem in our industry. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll, there's no shortage of solutions, mm. except they're not solving anything because we keep seeing breaches. Personal data keeps getting lost. People are suffering. PII is out there. You know, Equifax, Target, OPM. I mean, it spans across every industry, every vertical. And we don't even know what's happening in the IoT and industrial control space because there is the real problem. We start mm -hmm. talking about critical national infrastructure, the 16 domains of, of IC. We got a big problem there. And it's, it's largely hidden because it's not touching people every day. They're not consumers of this, not directly, right? So when your lights go out, that's sort of a downscale effect that you're feeling is a trickle-down effect that happened way upstream. And there are very few folks who have their eyes on it. You know, most of our critical infrastructure is in private industry hands. So under investment in that area, we're talking about shareholder dollars that are not being spent. Mm -hmm. And and nobody's really minding what's happening, right? You know, we have a lot of initiatives around that. There is uh, initiatives like InfraGuard, which is great. And I'm a member and an mm -hmm. enthusiastic one. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, coming from a company like Schneider Electric that was heavily involved in, in industrial controls and, and process controls where we had everything from, you know, candy bars to nuclear technology, uh, you, you tend to think of these things a lot. And, and that's one of the big problems. You know, the, there's these pockets that we don't necessarily, they're kind of obscured by this fog of risk war, if you want to call it that, right? There, right. There's no true knowledge and visibility um, in there because it's sort of distributed and not a single entity owns it or has visibility to it. So the, the danger there is that when the dam breaks, the effects are so mm. big mm. and so compounded by the lack of controls, the lack of awareness downscale. Um, so, yeah, I, th I think there's a lot of things to talk about there. Mm. Um, and I think uh, scaremongering is over. I think people have awareness. Let's be creative. Let's be specific. Let's direct our, our R&D dollars if we have them to these areas of innovation. Let's take advantage of innovation that's becoming more mature. Uh, let's not buy features mm. that masquerade as products. Mm. Let's, let's make sure that vendors live uh, by the word solution, mm. that they actually are solving a problem or a set of, set of problems and do it, uh, do it for real, right? You know, I've done talks in the recent couple of years where I stand in front of CISOs and basically Hector the audience and tell mm. them stop buying stupid right. things right. stop buy things that don't work right. ask the questions don't buy a feature buy a solution buy a a component of your infrastructure that you can readily integrate that can actually move the needle for you so then that's, that, you that's, defined, that's, an, right? that's an interesting point so if um don't buy the feature right so if if i'm an executive if i'm a say ceo of a company and i hate to see uh, people who paranoi me about things that I should not be worried about and I should think about my bottom line and how I'm keeping it up. 
how like how do you want me to think about the 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 topic of cybersecurity or security like without without sort of uh, sort of end of the world approach of and i think you're creating a a good example there that uh, let's not go on the fear mongering side so if i'm an executive how should i think about that in a progressive way i don't have a cac so which is very rare but but let's assume mm-hmm. like what are some of those thought that should come in my mind or or you can engrave in me that that i should think and say okay uh, let me start digging there well so the tendency tends to be with with uh, folks who are not experts in the field is to buy whatever whatever everybody else is buying right follow mm-hmm. the crowd and mm-hmm. so they reach out for the latest analyst report they look at you know whatever uh metrics they use and they say well these are the top 5 firms that do x and i'm mm-hmm. going to have a bake off i'm going to see what i like and i'm going to buy this thing and uh you know there are certain infrastructure components you know so kind of the foundational layer of what we have to have you know so the, some of the best practices you just have to execute and there's plenty of guidance out there i certainly don't need to rehash it you know there's the nist csf there is iso 27001 there's pci dss um you know there's the csc20 you know from sans which is a great place to start if you do that you're already cutting down a lot of that risk. Now, you may not be able to quantify your posture before and after, but you certainly know you've done something to move the needle towards the better side of the scale. And that might be just enough to get started. But then you start to really get specific. And that that's where the rubber meets the road. Right? That's when we start talking about strategy. Right? You know, doing best practices is great. You don't have to be a strategist, you don't even have to be a true architect to get it done. You have to understand your environment and apply the controls as as the guidance recommends. But uh and of course compliance is a different story you know you have regulatory compliance obligations you have to meet them so you deploy controls accordingly uh but if you want to get strategic about it then you really need to understand how to pivot your limited resources to where you need them most so if let's say you're in an industrial environment and you have a huge number of legacy systems what can you do about them hmm. there are some regulatory concerns that you have to face you know if let's say you're an uh, electric uh, uh, electrical uh, utility you know you have uh, NERC and FERC that you have to worry about. So you follow those controls and you say okay, I'm going to deploy them. But when you start having a conversation with your customers, you ask them what do they care about? And they might say, "Look, um I'm doing business with three different companies. You're one of them. Uh if you can tell me that you do what you do more securely, that might be a factor a factor in my choice of supplier." that's a conversation that's important to have you need to understand what their requirements are and maybe they have regulatory requirements downscale that you don't know about and they will pass them upstream when they talk to their suppliers if you can get ahead of that early mm-hmm. as an example you might be able to do something about that so you know i've had conversations uh, across the entire vendor supply chain in many large companies where that's the conversation you say look we love doing business with you we have a 50 million dollar account with you you're providing solutions to us we're doing great we love it we've been together for 10 years guess what this one country we operate right now is having new privacy regulation like gdpr mm-hmm. you know that's right. a great example right. uh, if you do what you do the way you've done it for the last 10 years that's kept me happy that same thing is not going to work for me next year so you got to get ahead of that right so that those are, that that's a conversation about the business right that then trickles down to specific cybersecurity initiatives that you have to take that might manifest with technology and policy and and maybe some culture changes but it's driven by the business you know, it's not a bunch of security guys sitting in a room coming up with hey let's do this next year right mm. that's a top down that's a bottom up approach we're talking about a top down approach and that comes from the business so identifying what the business needs that's important. So, knowing again, it's it, it it doesn't have to be complicated. You know, one of my favorite books was uh uh a book about business written by a strategist that came out of India. Mm-hmm. And he used his father's vegetable cart business as an example of how to look at every business out there. It doesn't matter if it's as complex as as General Electric or General Motors. Money comes from somewhere, money goes somewhere, right? You you make money, you you sell product you have to buy product to sell product tomorrow how much product do you buy how do you manage your supply chain you know how do you keep your inventory in place how much inventory do you need what do you price right how do you price what's your pricing strategy what's your branding strategy and all of that can be kind of taken down to that level of a single vegetable cart right. and and that's fascinating right but we think we we work in these large complex enterprises where you know hundreds of thousands of people are employed very complicated many i mean millions of customers billions of dollars in revenue and we tend to lose the forest for the trees 
right? We don't we don't see things in that that holistic level. And at the leadership echelon, it's very important to focus on those top line items. You know, where does the money come from? What are the customers? Who are our customers? What are some of the personalities? You know, when we think about how we sell solutions to the marketplace, you know, and I work a lot in branding and positioning, and I work with mm -hmm. co companies trying to figure it out, and we help them with that. Uh, so we need to think about security as a product, mm -hmm. as a service within the enterprise. We need to take kind of put on sort of a consultative hat, and mm -hmm. and think about how do we position security as a component of the business as providing value to the business. What is our unique selling proposition as security? What can we deliver that, is, that only security can deliver to the business? And typically that's gonna be a conversation about risk, but maybe it's a conversation about branding the actual business. You know, if for a bank, uh, you know, or a credit card company, um, that's important. You know, privacy is important. Uh, security of personal information is important. Uh, making sure the financial data is protected, that's important. So having that security dimension to the business, right? Whatever we do, we do securely. That's a message. And that mm -hmm. message can only come from the truth if the company is actually investing into cybersecurity and they can justifiably quantify that they are more secure than the rest, right? And that's a tough conversation to have, you know, because right. the lawyers have a field day when you claim that, yeah. you know, we're better than, and that's fine. Maybe you don't have to make a comparison. Mm -hmm. But when you make significant investments into cybersecurity that enable you to say mm -hmm. clearly, and honestly, we are investing in security. Right. That doesn't, to me, a lot of people tend to view that as painting a target on your back that invites mm. more attacks. Guess what? We're getting attacked every day, a thousand times a day, right? Mm. Or millions of times a day for larger environments. The target on the back is not getting any bigger because you go and say, I'm going to invest in cybersecurity. To me, that, that, I think that's a falsehood. Uh, that's a false premise. So if you make investments, talk about them. Make that a part of your message. Right. You know, we've had companies in the last few years talk about where their customer support sits. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, Discover Card, for instance, they say when you call us, you talk to somebody in the, in the United States. They understood that their customers wanted yeah, that. That's that's a good positioning. So I think you, you're again uh, raising a very interesting point. So like if I'm a business, like how do you how much investment is optimal investment when it comes to investing in security? So is it, are there any benchmarks out there? That, um, that, there are. that I can I can follow. Yeah, there are a few. So uh, you know, larger companies, uh, especially folks in the manufacturing segment, industrial segment, they have some pretty good metrics of how much they spend on R and D, how much they should spend on IT, right. Right. and typically it's the component of their overall spend right. or overall revenues. Right. Uh, you know, we've seen I've seen metrics uh, as small as three percent of IT spend spent okay. on security. That's that's tough. That's that, I mean, that that's not a lot, right? Three percent right. is not a lot. You know, I've right. seen as high as ten percent. Right. So it, it tends to vary by industry, it tends to vary by a specific company. You know, a good example is a large, well-known uh, uh, medical brand, a huge clinic um, that actually invested, uh, I, I believe, over $100 million into their cybersecurity program because the deal there was to create a strategic exchange forum for health security data. Basically, yeah, they're, they're almost like a health, like an HS, like health security yeah. ISAC, but yeah. private industry create the concept and then push it out to all the other clinics uh, and, and health providers. So when folks invest that way, that that's huge. Right. But that's unlikely. You know, most mm -hmm. companies play a defensive game with cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. right. They sit back, they wait for things to come to them and they bat against, you know, the, whatever's coming. Uh, that's that's a tough tough way to work, and and we're seeing a lot of churn in the industry for that very reason. You know, one of the big claims that we have out there is, you know, we have 300,000 jobs that are unfilled, and that number keeps going up. And they say by 2020 we're going to have a million jobs that are unfilled in cybersecurity in the United States, and and maybe that's true. The problem is, uh, w the the reason people keep leaving is. Um, well, an average CISO tenure right now is what, 18 months, 18 mm -hmm. to 24 months. There is a reason they don't stay um, because they're, they're not delivering mm -hmm. value to the enterprise. Right. It's not perceived that they are. So they keep kind of shifting and changing. It's the same story we went through 10 years ago with the outsourcing boom. Uh, you know, people were outsourcing every couple of years, three years. They would try it and they would insource back in for their IT and then they would try it again and back and forth they went. And that cycle just continued on. Uh, a lot of money was lost. Not a lot of strategic value was generated. Uh, but, you know, a lot of outsourcers made a lot of money. So, you know, there's there's that component. 
for security, it's a, it's a similar thing. We, you know, we keep trying things, but it's, it's very infrequently strategic. And I think that's the, that's the point. We need to get a lot more strategic about it, business-driven. And I think the onus is on us as the security mm -hmm. practitioners to become more business-savvy, business-aware, business-aligned, and not just on paper. You know, the favorite term in IT is business-aligned. We're business-aligned. Right. Um, we need to take a few lessons there because mm -hmm. IT went through a similar period of illegitimacy. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to kind of learn those lessons and we don't need to reinvent the wheel. It's been done before, right? So take some lessons there, apply them to ourselves, take the initiative to be business-minded, business-oriented, uh, gain that business savvy anywhere you can. Get in those rooms, have those conversations. And I mean that for everybody. I mean, starting with, with analysts in the SOC to understand their business, take that initiative. And then right. that's a way to kind of grow up so the ladder. I, I think so I think you, you raised a very very interesting point about being offensive or defensive about about security. I think so. Uh, one one interesting actually it was a joke, but uh, it, now it looks looks like looks like it, it's true. Was that hey um, the head of security is the most insecure guy in, in in this company, right? So his job is to take take the hit, right? So and 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 that's a very very defensive strategy, right? So if if my company shows up in in public domain as being hacked, he is the first guy that probably will go. So. He just have to sit there till that time and just take the hit and just go and then and and then uh, wash out. So now, can a company be offensive really? Uh, in can uh, when it comes to cybersecurity or or just defensive is um, is is more. It, it's good on it's good. It looks healthy on your bottom line. Like so, you'll react. You, you'll always react because right. you don't know where to act, right? So right. so. Can like does the offensive approach like have you seen any company who is actually being offensive about their security? Well, besides security so companies, I, th I think terminology matters, right? Yeah. So I think within the taxonomy of cyberspace, when we say offensive, we actually right. mean going out there and yeah. attacking somebody yeah. else, right? Oh, uh, that's true. offensive cyber. So uh, the for me, the proper terminology would be defensive, where you're just mm -hmm. passive, mm -hmm. and then proactive. Right. So proactive right. does not really mean going out beyond the confines of your enterprise perimeter and actually attacking somebody else who's attacking you, because that opens up a whole can of worms. And that's kind of what we're talking about right now in Congress with the, the ACDC pro proposed legislation, the, the Hack Back Act, if you want to call it that. Um, so offensive cyber is not necessarily what I what I advocate for. In fact, I don't mm. advocate for that at all. Uh, but proactive. Absolutely. And so to me, you know, strategic and proactive is, is almost synonyms. Uh, I, I think being proactive about security is again, you know, we talk about the business, right? Talk to your customers, talk to your business leaders, talk to the people on the ground. What are they worried about? What are their customers uh, telling them about, right? What are their regulators telling them about? You know, talk to the lawyers, figure out what they're dealing with, you know, uh, what kind of risk does the company deal with from the risk management team, right? The compliance team. There are so many different things where cyber plugs in. You know, mm -hmm. I, I tend to view cyber, kind of tend to view the legal function. We tend mm -hmm. to sit at, at, at the head of all tables, right? right. We, we get involved in every facet of our operations, and we have sort of an ultimate backstage pass to the business. So we get to know a lot of things. You know, one of the great uh, success stories that I can share is uh, one of the clients that I had uh, early on in my practice after I left Microsoft uh, was a large financial industry company. And they had this huge compliance obligations that they were trying to meet. And uh, the challenge for them was they had a lot of legacy technology and not a lot of centralization. And one of the technologies that we were actually bringing in from the security uh, team had this huge log management capability just inherent in it, right? You know, there was a lot of analytics and reporting and, and, and intelligence gathering that, that allowed us, that, that that platform allowed us to do. But at its very basic level, it collected and normalized a large set of data and made it easily referenceable. So that, when we look at it from a capability perspective, and we understood that this huge compliance obligation that took 10 heads of full-time employees sitting and running manual analysis and manual reports could be completely automated and run through this process without having a single dollar of extra spend. And in fact, having huge savings, allowing those folks to be repositioned as engineers mm, actually working on the, on the platform that this company was selling. That was a huge win, right? So understanding the value that you can bring hmm. you know it's not just necessarily bits and bytes and protecting the firewalls and, and looking at the events and watching the packets fly on the wire you know keeping the hackers out we can deliver strategic value and maybe tactical value that has a lot of an impact on either the top line or the bottom line so here we had impact on both that came from a very interesting place unlikely place 
Uh, but again, because we were having a conversation not about technology, hmm. but about the capability. So understand that we have a lot to offer to an enterprise from a sensory perspective because we're plugged in in so many different ways, right? We have a response capability that allows us to respond very quickly to changing things, you know, as, as we see shifts in the, in the enterprise, in the environment, we can detect them sooner than others because we have very smart, intelligent technology deployed out there, both outside and inside the perimeter. And if you talk, start talking about things like threat intel, we have a lot of feeds, you know, there's 25 mm -hmm. feeds you can enable at the click of a button right now. It's, uh, you know, so we have a lot of data that can be very mm -hmm. useful. It, the, the challenge is understanding how to apply it to the enterprise. And again, you've got to talk to the business. We cannot sit in our dark rooms right. and stare at screens. We have to be engaged. We have to be interactive. Uh, I'm, I'm a very big believer in things like advocacy and evangelism. You have to be an evangelist mm. for your function. And I think that is the primary function of a CISO, is to talk about what it is they do. Talk to the business about what they could do. And again, display the capabilities. Focus on the capabilities. Focus on the business functions that you could deliver. Maybe you're not delivering them today, but mm -hmm. look at what you've got in your hands, all the investments you already have in place, and figure out maybe there's a creative way of using them. You know, leveraging them for another purpose. You know, in the end, we look at a lot of data. We have very smart tools and technology. We have a lot of very smart people. And maybe if they spend an hour a day doing something other than security, you know, just hard security stuff, right, looking at at uh, analysis or you know doing forensics or running investigations maybe they see something and that data goes to the risk team and maybe mm -hmm. it goes to a legal team mm -hmm. and you know having those uh, lines of communication open is very important so i'm a big believer in in advocacy evangelism and also cross-functional partnership you have to create sort of these dotted line uh structures within the enterprise where you can have that sort of bi-directional data flow and you can talk about things that you may never be privy to otherwise. You know, get into different rooms, get into different conversations, go to, you know, go to leadership forums that you ordinarily wouldn't even be invited to, right? And that, you know, being, being active and proactive, I think that's where it starts, right? So I think, I think you're raising a very interesting point. So uh, I spoke with this, this CISO guy um, a couple of months back and he was showing me uh, his cubicle. So he has no chair. And he said, that's for a reason. Like, I don't want to sit. Like, my job is not to sit. But just, and I think you, you are actually hitting on right on the nail that having those those daughter relationship with, yeah. with departments and everything, that, that's, that's super critical for CISO to, to exist, right? To actually create this inclusive right. culture of if something shows up and how fast you can track and act and react on that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's I think I couldn't have been uh, fascinated about, um, I think that's a beautiful closing remark. Uh, so now, now let's let's talk about let's talk about your favorite read. Uh, I, I'm I'm curious, like what 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 are you currently reading? So I've, I'm currently reading a book, and I'm happy to share it with your audience. It's called How to Measure Anything in Cybersecurity Risk. Nice. And the book is by Douglas Hubbard and Richard Searson. Um, very curious about the book. I just started reading it. I'm on my first chapter. Uh, just came from Amazon two days ago, I think, and uh, can't wait to dig into it. I've flipped through it so far really interesting it really talks about measurement and quantification i think we don't do i think we do a very poor job in cybersecurity of quantifying what it is exactly that we do you know we're great at knowing our tools and our technologies and and talking about things like vulnerabilities and and how many attacks we saw and how many packets hit our firewall and you know that that's great but quantifying things at a, at a higher level uh, I think we're still struggling with that. So there's definitely not a, a shortage of frameworks out there, but there isn't necessarily a unified way of doing it. Uh, and maybe there, there shouldn't be, right? Every environment is different. Every business is different. The way every business is measuring their own success can be very different, even within the same industry. You know, they have different metrics. They have different ways they, they organize their operations. And I've been in environments where they might have five different uh, SAP instances for the same single country. That happens, you know, sometimes they track it by vertical that they serve versus the ge geography and security is the same way. We need to mirror what they do. So I'm fascinated to dig into the book. I recommend it highly and uh, I think they'll make anybody reading it a much better practitioner. So I think you know, with that, um, uh, by the way, fascinating uh, session with you. I think I was totally, I have barely touched half of my question that, that I wanted to, <laughs> to to cover in this. I I'm think happy it's, to come back again. It's, it's, I think it's, uh, I'd love to have you back again. And I think, uh, and you're always back on our show 
to discuss any um, of your future products and, and and services and 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 hopefully your your uh, so are you planning to write a book Yes, actually, yeah. So I'm, I've been engaged by a publisher uh, to write a book, and I'm bringing a couple of my colleagues into it. So the conversation began about uh, more of a tactical book about uh, cybersecurity recipes, if you want to call it that, more of a cookbook of ideas uh, to kind of make it actionable and and very uh, uh, very uh, employable by anybody who's who's reading it. But uh, it was kind of aimed at more of a mid-market, you know, mid-level uh, manager, not necessarily an executive or a strategist. Uh, and the book very quickly morphed into this strategy book and uh, you know now we're think, up to 85 topics and not a single yeah. one of them is about technology it turns out we're really no, talking about think, strategy so, i think and, what, uh, what 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 i what i loved about this session and, and what about lot about your perspective right so i've been i've been talking to a lot of CISOs, and th there's very few actually who are actually on the business side right who understand the problem on the business side and i think that's why there's a clear need of that uh, thinking or that thought leadership on the business front, right? Okay, and I think you are one of the guys who, who talked about BISO, right? And, and talked about the, that fear mongering is not the way to go. And and I think those are very sort of from from the from the executive point of view, fascinating. I think fascinating to hopefully have your work um, and 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 do uh, let us know whenever it's out or whenever. Uh, I'd love to share. And, and and as I said. Uh, it was it was an honor and privilege to have you on our show. Likewise, thank you for for inviting me on. It was a pleasure to share my views with the audience. Look forward to continuing the conversation soon. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, I thought I was sick of home, but actually I was homesick. Never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick. I'm so uncomfortable, don't know anybody here. Just a couple dudes that I met once, that's it. And I go into the booth feeling nervous. Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless. Is the mic on? I don't know how to work this. Inside I'm breaking down, I hope I'm not up on a certain